0: Our second reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 8 through chapter 2, uh, verse 2. Uh, That text is provided for you there in your bulletins. Hear the word of God. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful And just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and God's word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our Rock And our Redeemer. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We often chatter our way through the Lord's Prayer, repeating the familiar words, not really paying attention to what we're saying. Not really paying attention to what Jesus was saying when he was instructing his followers about how to pray. They had asked him how to pray. He was the master prayer. He had spent long hours separated from the crowds who were constantly hounding him, which should make us wonder about our own weak prayer lives. Jesus, who had some kind of direct pipeline, some umbilical cord connecting him with the Father, Jesus spent hours and hours in prayer to get through his days, to get through his life, to do the things that he was called to do in this world, if he needed so much prayer, how do we get by with so little? The Lord's Prayer is not a formula that needs to be memorized or repeated in a rote, automatic fashion as if we were praying the rosary. But the Lord's Prayer is a model. It is an outline for the shape of our prayers, for the sequence of our prayer, for the topic that we need to touch on in our prayers. The Lord's Prayer contains seven petitions, seven requests, and then it ends with a doxology, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This morning I want us to think for a little while about the fifth Petition in the Lord's Prayer, which is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or if you're not a Presbyterian, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. By the way, do you know why Presbyterians say debt and debtors instead of trespass and those who trespass against us? The King James Bible uses debts And debtors, and yet many churches in the English speaking world, uh, which use the King James Bible, use trespass instead of debts. Here's the reason I heard this is not the gospel, but it's hearsay. What I've heard is that in Scotland, where the Presbyterians came from, the population is very sparse and the landscape is wide open. And in Scotland, everyone has the right to travel across your land on the many footpaths that uh, cross the countryside. In Scotland, the idea of trespassing uh, doesn't really make any sense. It's not breaking the law there. Now in this country... In some neighborhoods in particular, you'll see lots of no trespassing signs with grim warnings of what will happen to you if you dare cross the line. But apparently that's not how the Scots think. Anyone is welcome to cross anyone else's property. It's just not something that the Scots worry about, but owing a Scot some money. Now we've got an issue. The Scots are very serious with letting people cross their land, but don't you dare leave a debt uh, uh, unpaid to uh, Scotsmen. Whether we use debts or trespasses, there is one idea here that there's been a violation of what's permitted, of what's allowed, of what's acceptable. The theological language for this, of course, is sin and sinners. When we sin, we cross a line with God. We are sinners because we owe God a debt, because we have not given him something that is his due. The Lord's Prayer appears in uh, the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, and in both places, debt and debtor Is the right, they are the right translations of the words that are underneath there. The word, the words that are underneath there, um, carry the idea of a delinquency. If you ever get a notice that your account is unpaid, you get a delinquency notice. You haven't paid what you owe. You made a promise, but you didn't keep it. You've got a a book that's overdue. At the library, when we don't pay what we owe, we are delinquent. And so another translation of our fifth petition would be, forgive us our delinquencies as we forgive those who are delinquent against us. Which brings us to the question of what is it that we owe? If the petition asks God to forgive us our outstanding debts, even as we forgive others uh, of the outstanding debts that they owe us, what is it that we owe to God and to other people? What do we owe God? Well, I think we can begin with honor. We owe God honor. Honor. We need to honor Him as the majestic creator of all, as the Lord of creation. We also owe God our love. We need to respond to Him, to God, with warmth and with affection the way a healthy child will respond to its loving father. But we also need to, we also owe to God our worship. Now worship is the highest exaltation of the human spirit. It is that peculiar state that we enter into every once in a while when we are simply amazed, when we're astounded, when we're delighted, when we are ecstatic, when every nerve of our being is reaching toward and being overwhelmed by the object of our worship. Worship is sublime. All of us have felt this feeling on occasion, this awe-filled, worshipful feeling. Sometimes we feel it when we are in love. I worship the ground on which she walks. Sometimes we feel it in the presence of celebrities. The first time I met Garrison Keeler when we were both young, I was completely tongue-tied. He had helped me speak as if I were some kind of child. Sometimes we feel it when we are swept up into a larger cause than ourselves at a political rally, at a football game, at a concert. For a lot of Americans, their politics are more important to them than their faith. And in Europe, it is a common saying that football or soccer is a religion, and I don't think they're kidding. Sometimes we feel a worshipful awe in nature. We are overwhelmed, we are overawed, we are overjoyed when we see vast vistas, when we see intense beauties. All of us know this feeling of worship But here is where we have to be careful because lovers and celebrities and politicians and football teams and even the wonders of nature, all of those things are creatures. All of those things are temporary. All of those things will turn to dust. God who is not a creature, but the Creator God, who is not temporary, but is forever. It is to God alone that we direct our worship, and we owe Him all of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. Some of us, I'm afraid, are mightily in arrears in the payment of our worship dues. There is a reason that the word of God commands that we set aside one day out of seven for God alone. There is a reason that the word of God commands that we not neglect the meeting with the saints. Because we owe God our worship. And Ben Franklin, beloved Ben Franklin, that old deist, even he was right. We were made to worship God. And we human beings, if we don't worship God, all kinds of other bad things will get misaligned in our lives. The very structure of our minds and our hearts requires us to worship, and if we are not worshiping God on a regular basis, we will worship something else. A political leader, a celebrity, ourselves, all of which is very wicked, and very destructive of human personality. People who are in worship each Sunday are happier and healthier. It is a scientific fact that people who regularly go to church live longer and they report being happier. I don't know why the CDC doesn't issue instructions that everybody go to church on Sunday. It would lengthen the uh, the span of our lives. There's no question about that. The people who are in worship each Sunday are healthier, but they also give God what he deserves, what what we owe him. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is a prayer that God will forgive us of our delinquencies, of the things that we owe Him, of the things that we have failed to pay. The sweetest of those things that we owe God is our worship and our honor and our love, but we also owe Him our obedience. Because of the fall, our very nature is inclined to selfishness and to evil. We naturally do the wrong thing. You don't have to study how to do the wrong thing. You are just born knowing how to do it. But God's law is given to us as a corrective, as a guide to good behavior. You don't have to teach people how to lie, kill, and steal. They'll do that out of their animal nature. But God's given law is a guide for us because we can't trust our own nature. Because I will naturally seek my own good at the expense of others. Because I will naturally lie and abuse other people if it's to my advantage because I will naturally do all manner of evil if I think I won't be caught, God's law becomes a set of instructions that gives us a chance to live the way God originally intended us to live. And that way is not only honoring to God, it's also healthier for us and for human society. Honesty really is the best policy you and I, however, regularly follow our flesh. You and I regularly follow our fallen human nature. And so this prayer is a prayer that God will forgive us of those sins, will cancel those debts. But here's the important thing to notice, and here's really the purpose of this sermon. In Jesus' prayer, God forgiving our sins is connected to our forgiving the sins of other people. Did you notice that? Everyone wants their sins forgiven. But are we willing to forgive the sins of others in order to receive forgiveness of our own sins? It's easy to want God to forgive us, but it's hard to forgive other people. It's easy to say, don't judge me, but it's hard to not pass judgment on other people. In his model prayer, Jesus links God's forgiveness to of our debts. He links God's canceling of our outstanding bills. He links God's renewing of our overdue book. Jesus links all of that with us doing the same thing for other people. Now, let me give you a hint about what a good bargain this is. What we owe God is one bajillion times more than what we owe each other. So any unpaid debt that another person owes you is one bajillion times less than the unpaid debt you have on God's balance sheet. God forgives us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it turns out that's a very good deal. So let's talk about What it is that we owe one another. Again, we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been reading this every week as we're going through this sermon series uh, through the book of 1 John. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor other people. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's not a complete list of what we owe to one another, but it's a pretty good start. As Christians, we owe one another a debt of love. Every Christian has the right to expect from every other Christian this love that Paul describes. We owe it to each other to be patient. We owe it to each other to be kind. We owe it to each other to not envy what that other person has. We owe it to each other to not boast about ourselves. We owe it to each other to not be proud. We owe it to each other to not dishonor that person. We owe it to each other to not just be looking out for ourselves. We owe it to each other to be slow to get angry. We owe it to each other to not keep a record of wrongs. That's the word of God. That's not the word of Dan. I want to focus on just the last two items in this litany of Christian love. Love is not easily angered, and love keeps no record of wrongs. Or let me put it this way. Love does not send overdue notices to those who have borrowed books. Jay, can you pull that picture up on the screen there? I want you to see a little picture that's on my iPhone. I don't know if you can see that from where you're sitting. Well, it was there for one second. Can we make it stay up there? Well, flash, flash, flash. There it is. Let's see if we can hold that. That's Naoma Trask. Okay. That picture's on my iPhone. Naoma is sitting in my office, and she's holding a copy of a book. It's called The Shepherd Leader, the date on the picture. So in your iPhone, all the pictures are dated. The date on the picture, uh, is, is, is May 11th. Naoma wanted to borrow that book. And so I took a picture of her holding the book. Okay. As a kind of checkout notice from my library. Okay. So I would know that she has it. I wouldn't forget. And I would know when she took it. Because if I don't get my books back, I get really upset. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking that I love my books more than I love Naoma, which might be true. But what I want to say is this, that all of us owe things to each other. And when we don't get what we think is owed to us, whether that is money or justice or respect or kindness, when we don't, get what we think is owed to us, then there's an unpaid debt and our relationship with the debtor becomes strained. And if the debt is outstanding for a long time, if it seems like that debt's never going to get repaid, then our hearts can become hard toward that person. If you borrow a book from me until that book comes back, and back to its appointed and cataloged place on my shelf until that book debt is repaid to me, my relationship with you is a little strained. As long as there's an outstanding IOU, things are out of balance. As long as there's an empty slot on my shelf, there's a rub in our relationship. Do you see... Why the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of the debts that other people have incurred against us. Do you see why Jesus says, if you want to experience God wiping out the huge debts that you owe him, you've got to wipe out the small debts that others owe to you. Some of us are living like sin accountants. Some of us are living like debt librarians, like Santa Claus. We are keeping track of who is naughty and nice. We keep a track of every wrong that has ever been done to us. We keep uh, remembering every insult or slight or rebuke. We never overlook a debt that is owed to us. And we keep demanding justice and justice and justice because we haven't gotten what is owed to us. Jesus says you have to forgive other people if you expect to be forgiven. Paul says Christian love does not keep a record of wrongs. What kills marriages, what kills friendships, what kills communities, and what can kill a nation is when we keep on keeping a record of what is owed to us. When we refuse to overlook the wrongs that we've been done. When we never forget any injury or insult or injustice that we have suffered. It will kill us. This kind of sin accounting. Oh, it can feel very righteous. Oh, we can think that we're defending truth and justice while really what we're doing is we're demanding retribution and revenge. That kind of un-Christian attitude of vengeance kills marriages and friendships and communities and it threatens nations. But you know who it kills first? It kills us. One of the stupidest features of modern life has to be road rage. We get behind the wheel of a car and we become strange, ugly versions of ourselves. Someone cuts us off. Someone drives too slowly. Our lives are inconvenienced for a matter of, I don't know, seconds. And people have been killed over these kinds of stupid little things. In that moment, however, in that moment of road rage, the raging person feels completely justified. He can prove that he is right and that that other person is wrong. And he feels like a mighty justice warrior. And people get killed because, I don't know, a few seconds were lost. Think about how stupid that is. I think God probably looks at all of our raging about our rights and what is owed to us, and he shakes his head the way that we might shake our head at an infantile road rager. How crazy. Our sin accounting... Our balance sheet of retribution looks like a testimony to justice and truth, but what it does is is it turns our hearts to stone. And instead of loving one another, we find ourselves hating one another, even though we feel righteous in that anger and in that hatred. I don't suppose that there are many people who have more reason to rightly feel that they have been abused or maligned, that have suffered injustice. I don't think there's anyone who could more rightly claim that than Martin Luther King. He was a great American who called our great country to live up to its ideals of equality and democracy. And you know what? People kicked him in the teeth for doing that. If anyone had a right to be angry or hateful, it would be someone like him. But he said, I have decided to stick to love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Hate kills us. And love is something we can decide to stick with. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, is how Jesus taught us to pray. So let's talk about our debts. Here's what we read in John, uh, 1 John Chapter 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and God's word is not in us. Now, in a sense, Paul is a universalist. Paul believes that all people equally are sinners. And of course, he is simply repeating what has already been said earlier in the Bible, that none are righteous, no, not one. All people are in the exact same sin-filled boat. But the goofy thing is, we spend so much time and energy denying our sin, covering up our sin, attacking those who point out our sins. You can have Bible-believing people who are in church every Sunday who give lip service to the idea that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you point out the sin in their lives, they can turn on you in a way that makes road ragers look like a bunch of sweet-faced choir ladies. I know, because I've faced these people. It's one of the occupational hazards of being a pastor. John says, if we claim we have no sin, he says that because there are people who claim they have no sin. Well, maybe not in exactly those words. But the point is, we refuse to tell the truth about what is going on in our lives. About who we really are. And when somebody starts to get close to that truth, we smack them. Hard. I hope you remember... That the very first word of the proclamation of the gospel is the word repent. The very first word of the good news is Repent. The very first word of the preaching of John the Baptist, the very first recorded word of the preaching of Jesus is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means stop doing what you're doing, do a 180 degree turn and start doing something else. The first Word of the preaching of John and Jesus is repent. But it's a word that nobody wants to hear because we feel like it's going to kill us to admit that we've been doing something wrong or that we need to do something different. Change? Are you crazy? How could I possibly change? You're not in the kingdom of God if you do not change. Okay? Okay. The entrance to the kingdom of God is through the gospel and the first word of the gospel is make a total 180 degree change in your life. Okay, So it's a hard word. We don't want to do it. We don't want people to know who we are. We don't want to tell the truths about ourselves. And so we put up a false front. We pretend to be the way that we're supposed to be, that we heard that Christians are there like this, and behind that false facade is a lot of rot. We hide. We lie. We puff ourselves up to impress people. We become Facebook and Instagram caricatures of ourselves. God, of course... Well, he he sees through it all. Like, I mean, he sees behind the mask. Every one of us has insulted Almighty God. Every one of us has been selfish in the most baby-like way. Every one of us has thought more of ourselves than of our neighbors. Every one of us has turned a deaf ear to those who are needing our help. Every one of us has been guilty of pride and lust and greed and sloth. Every one of us has harbored envy and hatred in our hearts. And anyone who says otherwise is a liar. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. And God's word is not in us. So let me offer just two Quick takeaways, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer. Number one, you are a sinner. One of the men's Bible studies we have here at the church is called the Presbyterian Stogie Society. It's a cigar-friendly Bible study. It meets every other Monday, and it meets in the, in the barn. And the guys in, in, in that room in the barn... They call that room Swine Hall as a joke that we're all a bunch of swine, you know, gathering in a barn to read the word of God. Now, it's a kind of a funny thing that they that they say about themselves that we're meeting in Swine Hall, but it's really deeply true. And it's a recognition that, you know, we're kind of all in this same position, that we're just a bunch of filthy swine who were coming to God and asking for, for his cleaning we are sinners. The remarkable thing is, is that God loves us. Christ died for us to take away our sins. So here's what I would say to you this morning. If you have never before today made a conscious, rational, wholehearted decision to believe God and to repent of your sins and to ask forgiveness in Christ, you should do that today. Okay, it's called being born again it's it's a decision you like you can know about the gospel you can believe the gospel but until you've made a decision to say yeah that's true and it's going to be true for me then you're not yet born again all right so let's not confuse knowledge with salvation you need you need the knowledge to get saved but it's not enough it requires an act of your will i invite you to do that today if you've never done it before We're going to spend a little time in prayer, and we can do that. We can do that during that time. You can pray to God. You can tell Him the truth about who you are. You can ask Him for uh, His forgiveness in your life. You can ask Him to give you the Holy Spirit so that you will know that you're forgiven. One of the wonderful things about being born again is just the the lifting of the weight. These men who can gather in swine hall and share honestly about their life, they're able to do that because they don't feel the weight of their sin. They know that their sin has been born on the cross. Okay, there's freedom uh, in, in being a born-again Christian. So if that's if that's something that you need to do, we're gonna we can do that a little bit later here. Number two, um, some of you have hearts that have turned hard against people who have hurt you. And you need to forgive them. And you need to do it today. You need to do it, first of all, so that the condition of your heart can be healthier, but you also need to do it because you need to be able to pray, forgive me my debts as I forgive the debts of others. You need to let that bitterness go and that hardness go. You need to stop keeping an account book listing all of the stuff that's been done to you by all of the jerks in your life you need to turn all of that over to god you need to stop carrying that burden because it will kill you and it's going to destroy your relationships not only with those people but it's going to destroy your relationship with god if you have hardness in your heart toward other people you can't love god either okay you can't hate your brother and say you love god so, we can pray about that as well. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are the maker of heaven and earth. And you deserve all glory and honor and praise and worship. You are good and true and kind and beautiful. You're powerful. You're holy. You're merciful. You are righteous. Lord, we confess that we have often been negligent of you, that we have not worshipped you with our whole heart, mind, and strength, that we have Been too busy doing other stuff, other stuff that's on our own agenda. It's been too much trouble to worship you. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of that neglect. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that are hungry to be in your presence and to worship you. I pray that we would long for the company or the fellowship of the saints that we've been invited into so that we can worship you. Father God, we recognize that we know your law, we know how we're supposed to live, we know what your word says, and yet time and time and time again we have decided to do something different, or we've made excuses for ourselves why it doesn't apply to us in this case. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins. I pray that you would convict us of our sins. I pray that we would not rest comfortably in our unrepented sin. Lord Jesus, you died on a cross to take away the sins of those who believe in you. I pray that you would give us faith today to know you as our Lord and as our Savior. I pray that you would give us hearts that could believe and grab on to this truth that the church has taught for 2,000 years now. That the blood of Christ covers the sins of the church. I pray that we would believe that and cling to that. I pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit so that we would have an assurance of salvation internally. I pray that We would be out of the closet about our faith. That we would let the world know that we are sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That we are not good people of our own nature. Lord, I pray that you would wean us from our own pride and self-sufficiency. I pray that you would make us humble Lord, I pray that we would boast only in you and in the cross of Christ. I pray that we would find our sufficiency in you. Lord, allow us to change. Allow us to repent. Allow us to become the kind of people that you want us to be. And Lord, I pray as well that you would give us the courage and the ability to forgive those who have hurt us who have done wrong against us, who have injured us. Lord, I pray that we would forgive them and that we would trust you with that circumstance. I pray that we would not seek vengeance on our own, but that we would trust that you are the God of vengeance and that you will settle all the accounts one day that we don't have to bother doing that. Lord, I pray that we would be in the center of your will and in your way. And I pray that it would make us healthy and happy. I pray that it would make us live long and prosperously and joyfully. Lord, I pray that the transforming power of your gospel in our lives would overflow out of our lives and would touch people in our families and in our neighborhoods who need to hear a word of the gospel from us. I pray that we would not be selfish and keep this to ourselves. Lord, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come,